listeners, welcome to the Content Clearing House. I'm Brett Chisholm. And I'm Josh Evans. This is not a test. This is your emergency content broadcast announcing the commencement of our weekly show, sanctioned by the Contentology Union of America. Today, we talk about the One Wheel, a Class 3 electric vehicle which has been authorized for use during the consumption of content. Listen to the Content Clearinghouse while riding the One Wheel. And then Josh justifies this ridiculous intro by talking about The Purge, Season 2 of the television show. You just got to trust him on this one. Movies, shows, and video games. Podcast books and their acclaims. Let their favorite content become yours. It's the Content Clearing House. Content Clearing House. And it starts right now. Everything in its right place. Is that a good way to start the show, sing a little Radiohead? I'll just cut that out. Okay, sounds good. (laughs) How you doing, man? It has been at least two weeks since we've really talked. I'm a busy bee, for sure. Uh, Like, skydiving. Does the bee stand for Brett? Trip. Yeah, it does. Brett and Bree, we're busy bees. Uh, Trip to Telluride um, for the days off. We did that river trip I told you about last weekend. We're fixing up the camper to uh, rent it out, actually, which uh, this will be our first rental coming up tomorrow in our pop-up. But, dude, that's not what I want to talk to you about. You know that I got a a new toy recently. It's insane. (sighs) Brett. Well, I want to hear you talk about it, but just from the few pictures I've seen, dude, I've already started saving up for one. But tell yeah. me about this thing. Well, um, I am not very good at board sports. I've never really been that good at like any sport, really, that I have one foot in front of the other. Snowboarding, I'm not very good at. I've tried a couple times, and I realize that you, know, you have to stick with it a little bit, but I'm a pretty decent skier, so it's hard to learn a new sport. But uh, wakeboarding, surfing, just not very good. But it hasn't stopped me from, from getting into longboarding, and I haven't longboarded in about 10 years. Um, our mutual buddy, Mike, if you remember, he like destroyed his leg, his Achilles tendon, uh, about t- maybe eight years ago with me riding a longboard around. Maybe seven you know, years you know ago. a funny story about that is um, yeah, what? right after he destroyed his Achilles tendon, he went on a skydiving trip with me and we did a world record with when he could barely even stand up. They yeah, had to basically ca- I remember that. carry him to the door throw him out of the plane and then he'd be like oh finally i'm comfortable in my element plummeting towards the earth yeah hey it's it takes the you know you're non-weight bearing when you're in free fall so makes perfect sense yeah the doctor prescribed a world record free fall sky 200 cc's of plummeting (laughs) (laughs) so with all that said dude um there I've just had a little bit of a casual interest in this thing called the one wheel, but it, you know, I've never seen one in real life. I've never, um, I don't know. They're, they're very expensive. Right. And I'm not really, in a, I in know a place. Brett, I'm saving money for one right now. <laughs> I'm not really in a, in a place to make like a, the, the irresponsible financial decision that I just did. 
Um, but really what, what happened was I've been riding the longboard. My wife's brother, my brother-in-law on his way moving from Florida to California. Very different states, by the way. I'm curious to hear how that's going, that that uh, adaptation period. That is big change. Yeah. I, yeah, I from probably no masks to lots of masks. Anyway, you got to wear three masks in California. Yeah. <laughs> so he, I asked him to bring the one wheel because I knew he had one. He's had one for a while, just so that I could try it. Dude, never have I like experienced something and so quickly was like, I have, I have to have this. I, I need one and. Uh, by sheer happenstance, my Tesla stock, like basically that day was going gangbusters. I, I was, I love Tesla. That's kind of the, the only other like pinnacle of innovation that I've ever personally experienced where I'm like, Oh yeah, Tesla just ruins you for any other car. Um, so I rode this one wheel for maybe 10 or 15 minutes and I'm like, okay, I, you know, I, I could, I could, uh, instead of saving this money for, uh, a secure financial future. I should just participate in some more action <laughs> sports, something that might, something that might injure me. So, and hey, I, Brent, you know, if you do, if you do yeah. enough action sports, you don't have to worry about saving for your future. You uh, might just, you know, uh, that's, <laughs> that's pretty fucked up, man. <laughs> well, oh God. So what is this one wheel for someone who doesn't know anything about it? Ah, dude. Uh, it, so I believe it's built around a um, golf cart. T- no, a go kart tire. I believe it is a go kart tire. Yeah, it looks with, like so you the, just, like the Batman tumbler tire on it. Like y- yeah, like if two you feet had wide. For sure, for sure, it's very wide. If if you you know the scene in uh, the Dark Knight where the tumbler wrecks and then, you know, the tires are spinning and he evacuates in the motorcycle. Yeah. Um, if, the tumbler the, if the Joker, yeah. If the, if the Joker hadn't interrupted that process and he wrecked that motorcycle again and it would turn into a one wheel and re- <laughs> Batman would ride away with, with one wheel. Um, so, so it's like it's a like, Russian nesting doll of vehicles, but in yeah, reverse. Exactly. Um, dude, this thing, it it is a board with the very center there's one wheel and it's you know you think like how how the hell does this thing work well it has uh accelerometers gyroscopes and like a brushless motor it's all electric and it it balances you now this thing is not a toy for sure this is definitely an action sport i mean people i'm not gonna lie people do get hurt on this thing um and oh, dude, I'm pretty can you do like 28 miles an hour or something. So I think the max speed it's like rated for is 20. And as I've heard a lot of people have watched several YouTube videos and they're like, you know, this is for agility. This is for sensation. This is not a speed vehicle. And, you know, I think the fastest I've gotten and just being a novice right now is like maybe 12, 13 miles an hour, but I'm taking it very slow That's because I'm not looking so to fast. get hurt. It's so fast when you're on feet, the concrete as so on fast. the concrete. But dude, the thing is, it's easier than a longboard. Like I've been longboarding around the state park, off and on the last couple of weeks, and like it's it's very hard to slow down to longboard. Like you either jump off or you bounce on one leg and drag your foot awkwardly on the ground. And with the one wheel, you pick it up 
uh, I mean, there is a learning curve at the beginning, but you pick it up very, very quickly. And it's like, it's very easy to use. It's extremely intuitive. And that's how they designed it. I mean, you just like kind of lean, you kick it up and it balances once you get it in a level position. And it has one of the foot pads has um, a sensor that is detecting your your weight on it basically so it'll bounce itself and then you just lean forward and it just goes man and you lean back and the, it goes backwards the back foot or the front foot has the sensor it is the front foot that has the sensor and this that is where sense. people yeah this is where people get in trouble on it you you basically cannot remove one foot at a time that's how people get messed up uh you know especially in the beginning you need to either lift just your heel of your front foot and then it, you feel the motor disengage and you can kind of like rock it back. Um, or you can jump off of it, both feet at the same time. <laughs> Go but tumbling. If you, if, if, you know, the, the intuition at the beginning is, you know, I can remove a foot to step off of it. You cannot do that because if, it, if you still have weight on that sensor, uh, that motor is thinking you're wanting to go and it's going to try to balance you and keep you upright and it's going to knock you on oh, your ass man. in like a second for sure. It's pretty intimidating. So what I'm, I'm imagining not, I'm is to stop. So do you lean forward slightly to go forward and lean s- backwards slightly to slow down and stop? Is that... Exactly. That that's yep. what seems then, intuitive to me. Yes. And then you're just like a snowboard. You can carve basically uh, on your... I guess you'd call it your toe edge and your heel edge. Um, now, the reason that I purchased this in, you know, I was like, as soon as I was on it, I was like, oh my God, this is the greatest thing I've ever experienced. I need one. Dude, the sensation really, truly feels like um, Marty McFly, Back to the Future 2, that, those hoverboards. It re- they, they, a lot of people compare it to floating. You feel like you're floating. You feel like you're hovering. When you told me that, that was like that. That is why I need to get this because, of course, anyone our age that's like been your dream forever is like gotta have a hoverboard without the Mongo strap on it. Yeah, but the it's hoverboard unreal. is that's just like the ultimate dream. That's what makes me want it. Well, it's I mean the so I got the bigger one, um, and that was another suggestion for my brother-in-law that I would just uh, outgrow the pint because the pint looked. You know, it's a, a lower price. It's smaller, and obviously, I live in a small space, so it appealed to me. But um, you know, Nick's point was like, dude, you, you just want to, you just want to get the the bigger one with the better range, the bigger battery, goes faster, and and you know, it's a big investment, and it is truly like an action sport. Like I can already tell, I've been riding it every day since I got it. I've ridden it in Telluride. I've ridden it all over the state park. Um, I'm, I'm trying to push myself, but I'm pushing myself safely. I've definitely taken it off road in like wet grass on gravel, on sidewalks, on streets with like pedestrians and cars, which is pretty intimidating, but I can already tell, like, this is the kind of thing that you can ride for 500 miles, a thousand miles, 1500 miles, and like still be learning things and still, like never get bored. Like it's very easy to learn, but it, it's like one of those things that, is just super like difficult to master or there's just like so many aspects of it that you could just push yourself. Oh, it's so much fun. I'm definitely obsessed, man. I'm addicted to it. That's the key to any awesome activity is that you can pick it up and well enough in the beginning to 
you know, understand the basics, but then you spend your whole life getting good at it. You know, it's like flying or skydiving, you know, like those things aren't that hard to get the hang of. But I mean, I know me still 20 years into skydiving and flying in the wind tunnel, there's still so much to learn. You're like, you can stay forever a student. And that's yeah. exactly the kind of activity I'm looking for. Like what I've been doing lately is everybody in my neighborhood rides bikes, like mountain bikes. And there are these, I didn't realize how big of a deal this is, but there are these awesome like off-road trails. It's like a, it's kind of like a, a terrain park, but for off-road trails. And they're just with, within like a 10 minute ride of my house. But you know, like I've been over there a few times, but mostly I've just been like going on these like night rides on my mountain bike around the neighborhood and just imagine how much more awesome that would be in a one wheel. Cause it has like a, a light bar on the front of it. Doesn't it? Dude, I, I, it, the light bar is awesome. And when I back up the lights switch, they're called like intelligent LEDs or something. So the, the white goes on the front and the red is on the back, depending on which way I'm going. It's, it's very difficult to describe how enamored I am with this thing and how cool it is. It's it's really awesome. 21st century vehicle. It really is. Like, dude, bike bikes haven't changed much. <laughs> like they're this they're the same. Like I'm sure they've made a lot of improvements, but if the you took a tires bike, have gotten much smaller. Yeah, there, there you go. There you go. <laughs> They they're what are the what kind of headwear are they wearing? They didn't didn't wear their tie and their cap on the bike. He's not wearing eight articles of clothing. Citation that man. <laughs> yeah, this is definitely the vehicle like the action sports commuter uh it's I, you could use it for so many things. Like I don't see myself like some people take them off like little jumps or like in the train park. I will never be doing that. But for cruising places, yeah, I mean, you never know. I'm I, if you ride you that might, thing for fifteen hundred miles, <laughs> you might see me like hop off a curb at one point. But in a long, if you time, ride it long but, enough, yeah. you're gonna start to feel like the fact that it's touching the ground is holding you back. Maybe we shall see. Yeah. It's I mean, it's heavy. It's not. You can't ollie it like a skateboard. I mean, people do get these things that attach to your feet and here's another thing that's awesome about the one wheel there's like tons of accessories and ways to customize it um i've learned from my writing spoiler that on I, really, it? I need a uh, no spoilers <laughs> no i need a i need a fender for sure like even though the top oh yeah of the wheel the bare part of the wheel is really cool looking i definitely was getting like mud on my shoes and legs and that's like one of the accessories people just get right off the bat but there's you know tons of cool accessories out there there's um, original equipment manufacturer o- OEM, I guess you call it, or uh, you know, there's stuff that One Wheel makes. There's like these third-party companies that make just fantastic products. Float Life, Craft and Ride, I think it is. But I'm already like, you know, spending any downtime I have like riding around, checking out like accessories, like looking at YouTube videos of how to carve better and. Once again, I am not good at board sports. It's not something that's ever appealed to me. And now this is like jumped to my favorite activity. And I've, uh, I'm afraid that I blew my uh, future skydiving gear budget on the one wheel. And I have zero regrets, Josh. No regrets. You'll get arguably more use out of a one wheel than you will have skydiving gear, regardless how cool skydiving gear is. It is possible. 
I, I did take the one wheel to the drop zone and I was riding around the drop zone the night before I did a couple jumps and I was like, like oh, you're here is... to jump. And you're like, no, this one wheel's brand new. I clearly can't afford to skydive right now. <laughs> Just wanted to show it off. I don't want to hurt myself skydiving because then I can't ride the one wheel <laughs> and vice versa. Now you get your priorities in, in order. Hey, real quick, uh, funny story. Since we do like to talk about skydiving, and I'll probably forget this uh, to mention this on our next episode, a guy that I've been jumping with every weekend, really cool guy, uh, his name's Joey. He had his 400th skydive on Friday, and I was on the first load and the third load. He jumped on the second load because he has two rigs, and uh, I'm such a slow packer, they're packing for me. But anyway, he jumped on the second load. It was his 400th skydive, and he skydived naked. Woo! Woo! You yeah, ever done a, that? No, I have not. No. I you know I hear I've always heard of people doing this for their 100th or 500th or whatever. I've personally never seen it. And uh yeah, here he comes swooping in the landing area like bare buns and all, dude. It was kind of fun. It's kind of funny to watch. It seems it seems brutal in free fall. Yeah. I'll be honest with you. That does not seem like uh an experience I need to add to my skydiving life. But good for Joey, man. Yeah, you go, Joey. <laughs> <laughs> so what's on your content circuit, man? Uh, just a little blast from the past that's been revamped for today, Unsolved Mysteries. Oh, yeah, they just re-released that for Netflix, didn't they? They did, yeah. I mean, it's all new episodes. So it's all like current Unsolved Mysteries, and uh, Netflix is doing a great job with it what was the host's name they don't they don't have the original the og host raymond burr i'm just looking it up now i did you watch unsolved mysteries as a kid yeah uh yeah that was definitely exposed to that growing up that was like one of the one of the like 8 p.m shows on abc or whatever that we would yes look forward to every every week yeah, it definitely was like my first exposure to like UFOs and true crime, and uh, I I uh, really appreciate Unsolved Mysteries for opening that that door in my brain. So you would definitely recommend the new one then. Absolutely, sick. Good to Love know because I haven't checked it out yet. So I'll add it to my ever-growing content circuit list. Yeah. If you're if it, you know if you don't feel like true crime, just skip to the I think it's episode four, the UFO episode. It's pretty compelling, as they they is, all seem to be. Is good. Yeah, I think so. I love Sweet. that stuff. Yeah. How about you? Oh, dude, I've actually got uh, some announcements on my content circuit. I found two things that I've been looking for. One. Okay. I found. The third movie in my Netflix action trilogy, which has been under my nose this entire time. I just totally forgot about it. Have you seen Spectral? I don't think I have. Oh, it's so good. So it's got... Is it? Well, it's got two of my favorite actors in it, James Badge Dale and Max Martini. They're like both just like... Well, if you've seen 13 Hours... Um, the Benghazi story. They're both in that. They play like these tier one guys. But in Spectral, there is like, they call them, they call them the ghosts of war. They're like these 
Bose-Einstein concentrate uh, entities that are basically like, they're like ghosts. You can only see them with special equipment. And it's it's oh, basically you know, about I, like... I have seen this. It is awesome. It is so awesome. It's like Delta Force fighting against these ghosts that have some sort of scientific explanation. So it's like not super cheesy. But it's just like an amazing effects extravaganza. It it kind of reminded me what's that CG movie? Uh Final Fantasy? No. There was a CG movie where they were fighting like spe- like spirits or specters yeah, it, and there it was is like Final Fantasy. Fi- Final Fantasy. It kind of Spectral reminded me of like a live action Final Fantasy. It was really good. Totally. Yeah, man, it is very similar like the a lot of the crazy tech but it's uh yeah. so you know like the action movie trilogy now I've got Triple Frontier I've got Extraction I've got Spectral so now I found like perfect trifecta that I'm very happy about and nice I finally found a horror movie that I was not just like ugh just show me the dead meat version of this <laughs> it is it's uh I mean it's. I just randomly found this on Prime. This is not something I ever would have sought out, but it's called Afflicted, and it is... So it's a found footage uh, vampire uh, movie. Those are two strikes against it, the things that I probably would have just (laughs) skipped over it. But, uh, oh my God, dude. So it's... First of all, it's like the people in it are playing themselves, so they're very comfortable like in their own character. It's Derek Lee and Cliff Prouse, I think are their names. But it's like they are going on this trip to Europe, this year-long trip, and uh, Cliff Prouse is a documentarian. So he's they run like this travel blog, and he's updating the blog. But one of them gets bit by a vampire, and then it goes, it goes through like him evolving like superpowers and then thinking it's really awesome. And then he starts getting a lot of like, like he can jump off of buildings and boom and he land without getting hurt. And he can like run up walls and can stick to the ceiling. And they're like, Oh, this is the coolest thing ever. And then he starts developing like the, uh, you know, like the, the sunlight aversion. And he goes through like all the bad things about being a vampire. And then the whole movie is about him like wrestling with his own humanity when he realizes that he has to drink blood and dude, it is unlike anything I've ever seen before. It's, I'd say it's probably the best found footage movie I've ever seen. And it's got some of the coolest vampire lore that I've ever seen afflicted on prime. Definitely worth, if you have prime, just, just check it out. It's amazing. You know, I got me some prime buddy. That sounds awesome. Couldn't run this show without it, man. Would you, um, if you had the choice to become a vampire, you know, you live forever, you get sparkly white skin, because I imagine like a twilight vampire. Alabaster. You're like super, super smooth with the ladies. Uh, what else? You fly, you can turn into a bat and fly, but, you know, you can't be out in the sun and you have to drink human blood and curse other people. Would you do it? Well, I've already got the sparkly white skin that can barely yeah. go in the sun. So that doesn't you mentioned seem like that much on of a the last deterrent. episode. <laughs> yeah, um, I definitely, I definitely missed an opportunity to uh, 
to agree with just like how how frail and vampire like your skin is. I mean, you're you're half you're halfway there. I'm essentially translucent. You know what? I used yeah. to. This is a little embarrassing, but I really did love the Anne Rice Lestat books growing up. Not so much for like the, all the just I don't know like that high society, but um, the I loved Lestat's like journey and he, how he would like pick up different powers along the way. You know, it was very video gamey, and where he would like you know he searched out like the Queen of the Damned so he could drink her blood and gain the powers of like the old immortals. I really love that journey, and I I would love to go on a journey like that myself. And if that happened, I would just hope that the vampirism would affect my brain eventually to the point where I wouldn't have to wrestle with my own humanity. So you just become a monster and like a psychopathic vampire monster. I, I had a friend named Peter in high school. He would always say. Oh, I would trade my soul to be an immortal demon from hell. <laughs> I oh my thought that was God. like <laughs> the funniest thing ever. That I was like, yeah, that that's probably what you would have to do, and then you wouldn't mind so much. So Wait, where, I don't know. What's Peter doing? What's Peter doing now? Is he in finance? Uh, Politics. He was like one of the most amazing artists I've ever met, and oh, okay. Had a, All right. So I'm not sure. I've actually looked him up. Never been able to find him. So Peter. My good friend from high school, if you're out there, man, contact the content clearinghouse. I'd love to hear from you. <laughs> Let me know if you're an immortal demon from hell yet. <laughs> Sweet. Well, if you're looking for a journey, uh, you, you, you're saving up for a one wheel. So, you know, that's all the journey I need is a one wheel ride with you. So let's take, one, a, uh, let's take a quick break. And then when we get back, Josh is going to get into some content. The Content Clearinghouse is brought to you by Best Maps Ever. They make checklist posters for outdoor adventurers who want to see it all. If you want to visit every national park in the United States, climb every 14er in Colorado, or ski every slope in New England, Best Maps Ever posters are the perfect way to track and inspire your quest. Every map is lovingly designed with icons marking each location so you can stick a pin in the icon or color it in with a marker as you check off the areas you've been to. They offer mounting and framing services for maps that are ready for pinning right out of the box, or if you prefer to mount the map yourself, there are tips on the website to help you with that. They have a slew of maps relating to protected areas and public lands like state parks, national forests, and even more obscure maps like the National Wild and Scenic Rivers system. So Josh, one of the maps my wife and I have mounted in our camper is the National Parks map. Now, it's covered in pins because, well, you know, Bree and I get around. And Best Maps Ever makes our gallivanting around the country even more fun because we can put a pin in the map to prove that we've been there and done that. No one could ever cheat that system, Brett. Well, it is on the honor system. Best Maps Ever does not employ any sort of pin-related security system that will come to your house and check and see if you've actually visited the places you've been. <gasps> Since you brought it up, I have uh, the skydiving drop zone map hanging up in my office. It's one of the few decorations I have that's not celebrating one of my many athletic achievements. In fact, it's hanging up on the wall right next to my world's most humble man trophy. For all your cartographic needs, visit bestmapsever.com. They've got the best maps ever. Clear in. 
Welcome back to the Content Clearinghouse. I have no idea what Josh is talking about on today's episode, so I'm really excited. It's a total, oh. complete surprise. Brett, I've been uh, preparing for this for two weeks. This is something that I knew in the beginning I wanted to cover, but it's like with Sapiens, you know, it's like I didn't want to do this until I had a really good handle on the format. So you might yeah. say that this content is my Sapiens. Oh my. Although it's not as important, buddy. I'm just talking about cool <laughs> stuff. I don't I don't go all deep into the human psyche like you do. But okay, what I'm talking I'm about ready. today, now bear with me, this is going to sound a little strange, but I'm talking about the Purge television series season 2. And I know the it sounds Purge really weird. Television series season 2. Two, I am not yeah. sure I am familiar with this at all. Perfect. I know it sounds really weird to recommend a season two of something with the qualifier that you don't need any background or really any even experience with the series to appreciate it, but that's really how good this content is. So season two of The Purge TV, TV series, it gives you everything you never knew you were missing from The Purge. It, everything you want to know and then so much more that... It's just like, it's like the most fascinating content that has ever been written about the purge. So, so the purge, you're talking about the movie uh, that's become a really popular franchise now, where there's like one night a year in the United States, or cr- people can do anything they want, commit any crime. Exactly. Yes. Really? There's a TV series yeah. of this. Yes, and I'm going to tell you all about it. So, oh my God! The, Please don't revoke my contentologist license. I won't for not knowing that. Okay, <laughs> you went to Harvard for that. So it's true. I am going to be going a little bit into spoiler territory because there's a lot of stuff that I just can't talk about without mentioning some specific details. But keep in mind, like this is a this is a series of television. It's ten episodes. Most of what I'm going to be talking about happens in a small section of the first episode. And then there's a little bit here and there of some of the other earlier shows. But as far as the overarching narrative and a lot of like the awesome character development, none of that stuff I'm going to be revealing here. So if you, uh, if you don't know anything about the show, you're not going to feel robbed by what I'm going to tell you today. Okay. Now the, so the, the first episode opens, it's like, one of the most brilliant cold open openings I've ever seen for any TV show. So it's a, there's a voice actor, actress, it's a woman. She's on stage and she's auditioning for a role. So she's asking the casting director about like her motivation. And she brings a pair of glasses and puts them on because she feels that they bring like a sense of authority that, that she feels like the role deserves, but they also give her a little bit, bit of a caretaker feel. And while she's going through all this, the casting directors are looking at her with mild amusement and maybe a little bit of hidden contempt. So they're just kind of like smirking at each other. And then she starts to read the script and it's the purge commencement script. So she is the voice of the purge. Now, are you familiar Ah. with the commencement script? Yes. um, I have definitely seen the first movie. But I, uh, I I can't say that I'm like a, a super fan. I have not seen every of the Purge movies. And obviously, um, I didn't even know that the Purge had a TV series. 
but I know what you're talking awesome. about. Well, let me read you the script because it is applicable. Okay. So the script is, <clears throat> let me see if I can voice the uh, beginning of the purge. Get your glasses on. This is, this is not a test. This is your emergency broadcast system announcing the commencement of the annual purge sanctioned by the U.S. government. Weapons of class four and lower have been authorized for use during the purge. All other weapons are restricted. Government officials of ranking 10 or higher have been granted immunity and shall not be harmed. Commencing at the siren, any and all crime, including murder, will be legal for 12 continuous hours. Police, fire, and emergency medical services will be unavailable until tomorrow at 7 a.m. when the purge concludes. Blessed be our new founding fathers and America, a nation reborn. May God be with you all. So it's pretty... uh pretty powerful and pretty Yikes. crazy so instead of Yikes. including murder she states accept murder and they stop her and correct her and then she's kind of like visibly sh- shaken but she does finish it and at the end the casting crew loves her and she totally gets the job and then she asks so what's this gonna be a movie or something and then bam it like hard cuts to the opening credits like right there i knew that this is like not normal purge content. Cause a lot of the, a lot of the purge movies are just kind of like, there are like some cheesy parts, like some kind of dopey action sequences. But this is a real step forward in writing for the entire franchise. And it's finally, in my opinion, the mature take that this subject matter really needs. Interesting. So, so when, series, what year, yeah. What year did this come out? Cause I'm curious like where this falls in like our, political zeitgeist well so the series premiered uh on september 4th 2018 the first season consisted of 10 episodes and it was all right i guess i wouldn't i definitely wouldn't cover it on this show and then in november uh 2018 usa network renewed the show for a second season which premiered october 15th 2019 so it's very recent and then in may 2020 the series was canceled after two seasons, which just goes to show that you can trust like artisans to make this stuff, but you can't trust the people with money to recognize quality because they're just a bunch of dinguses, man. All the good stuff yeah. gets canceled. Yeah, that is uh, that does seem to be the case a lot of times, for sure. Yeah, especially now when nobody can make any TV shows. But unfortunately, this was, you know, this is now toast but you can always go out and get it on prime so the story takes place in this show it's at least 14 years after the first purge it's not really stated but it's presumably at some point between 2031 and 2040 and the show depicts the events in new orleans and it departs from all previous installments of the purge in that most of the plot happens after the day of the purge instead of during it so that means a ton of behind-the-scenes logistics and day-to-day life in a world with a purge looming over its head. Oh, that's interesting. An exploration of, like, the cleanup, like the post-purge cleanup. Yes, and, like, what life is for people when they know that, you know, in, you know, 11 months or something, there's going to be another right. purge. Jeez. So the purge, the franchise was created by James DeMonico, and like you mentioned earlier, you know, the series explores the idea of an American government sanctioning one 12-hour period per year where all crime, including murder, is legal. 
the argument for this in the in the series is that if the citizens are allowed to exercise their demons, the remainder of the year will be this polite and relatively crime-free existence for everyone, when in reality, it's really just a way for the upper class to prey upon the less fortunate and a way to legally remove the homeless population and allow gangs to wipe each other out. Essentially, it becomes a tool for the government elites to remove people that would need welfare systems and to encourage economic growth in purge-related industries and to eliminate their political opponents. As you can imagine, the series, the movies, and TV show carry quite a few, uh, quite a few strong socioeconomic statements. That's what it's sounding like. <laughs> yeah, like James DeMonaco clearly had like uh, he clearly had like some things to say, and honestly, like just the the package he put his statements in is just so compelling. I mean. I, I knew when I saw the preview for the first purge, I was like, that commencement script, I was like, whatever this is, I'm sold on it. This sounds like the most awesome idea for content I've ever heard of. Wow. This is definitely um this is an interesting time to to have a show like this because obviously it's extremely fictionalized and you know, taken to like uh, an extreme degree, but it, it it's it's so bizarre how sometimes the most outlandish things like reality catches up to you very quickly. I mean, I think of Idiocracy, like right off the bat, and uh, the president it was like a reality TV show entertainer, right? And there's just a lot of a lot of examples of that where like uh, life imitates art, art art like imitates where life is headed and i i hope that it's not the case with this content hopefully it's not like what we were talking about in the starship troopers episode where the inventors of the future are inspired by the sci-fi of the past so hopefully our policymakers aren't inspired to become the new founding fathers in their not so distant future in this world we live in we do love our guns here in America. Yeah. So most of the purge movies focus on murder as the primary crime. So they all carry like a really strong horror movie vibe. You know, the, the first movie is just a straight up horror movie, home invasion. The second is like an action film with more, you know, some horror movie elements in there. The third one is kind of the same mix. And then is, you know, you get to some of the later movies that really, in my opinion, starts to lose its way a little bit. But with any, you know, with any TV show, you know, it follows a wide array of characters and interconnected storylines. So you get like kind of a taste of a lot of these different elements throughout the show. So the story focuses on four main characters. There's Marcus, played by Derek Luke, and he's a doctor who has run afoul of his neighborhood, and he knows that he's being targeted in the next purge. There's a college student, Ben, who has a near-death uh, near-death experience or encounter on purge night that kind of breaks his brain and sends him off the deep end. And he's played by a criminally underutilized actor, Joel Allen. So Joel Allen has seven big IMDB credits, including such winners as Dustin from never going back. And also Dustin from minor setback, whatever the hell those things are. Those are pretty weak IMDb credits for how amazing this actor is. And he's like, I can't say that's been in my content circuit for sure. You you haven't seen 
Never Going Back starring Joel Allen as Dustin? No. He is one of the best parts of the show, and I hope this guy gets more work, because, man, he is one creepy fuck. Oh, man. Are you like... like uh jake Busey, creepy or like uh no like a scary guy yikes his his storyline is scary so it also follows Ooh. esme uh played by uh paula nunez she works for the nffa as a data analyst nffa is the new founding fathers uh so she works as a data analyst in a purge surveillance headquarters oh hey isla's here hey isla you want to say <laughs> hi to the the podcast <laughs> oh she doesn't have any toilet paper <laughs> all right let's oh, take a no. let's take a break <laughs> all right sounds good all right esme played by paula nunez who works for the nffa which is the new founding fathers as a data analyst in the purge surveillance headquarters and Ryan, a master thief played by one of my faves that I mentioned earlier, Max Martini from 13 Hours and Spectral. So his crew tries to actively avoid murdering non-hostiles and uses the purge as a means to an end to pulling off these elaborate, well-planned, year-in-the-making heists each night or each purge night. So all four storylines are absolutely fascinating you know, Marcus's story shows the damage to community that, that the purge causes. You know, one argument for the purge in this world is the concept that a well-armed society is a polite society. And the flaw in this argument is highly apparent and viewed through Marcus's story. A, a supposed slight causes this rift between him and his neighbors, and he spends the entire year fearing what they're going to do to him on purge night. Now, the season gets its dose of horror through Ben's story. So after his brush with death, he goes from being a normal college kid into this burgeoning psychopath. And through the entire year, you see him devolve as he becomes obsessed with death. And you see proof that the ability to unleash the beast, as they say, once a year is not enough. And murder is not just confined to purge night. Through him, you meet these other purge enthusiasts and you see the type of obsession and planning that goes into preparing for the purge. So that's like a, it's a really cool glimpse behind the curtain of like, what the lead up is like that. I mean, that's like a terrible thing about the purge is you're living in fear. You know, it's, it's like, instead of being excited for Christmas morning, you're just like terrified the entire year for like, what's going to happen to you. Uh, you know, or like, even if you're, you have the upper hand, you're like, do I have enough guns? Do I have the right allies? Can I trust these guys for the heist like that seems like a recipe for uh heart disease or some maybe some stress induced High cholesterol uh, <laughs> i mean that's that's terrifying man I, i've thought about a lot being like this if you're into this content at all you can't help but like project yourself into its world and i've thought so much Definitely. about like what would i do you know like the purge night is one thing i mean obviously like if you're not going to be like a total murdering psychopath, you would basically be in like total defense mode, but thinking about like leading up to it, how it would affect like every aspect of your day to day to day, knowing that this is coming, you know, and it's, you survive it one year and then you have to immediately start over and start planning for the next year. Like, I don't think that I would ever have had children in this world. I don't think you could have, 
I would ever feel right bringing a kid into this world. Yeah. I hear you. I mean, I, it's, I'm, I'm not sure if uh, like my wife and I are having this conversation right now because we lean back and forth, but you know, sometimes I don't feel very hopeful for the future in 20 years, 30 years. I mean, we have a lot of global problems that, uh, you know, we could, we could have some, some significant issues if we don't address them. And we're so far from addressing them the way we need to be. So, you know, and nobody is murdering each other once a year with uh, no uh, no holds barred. Is that, is that yeah, the imagine you had all the same problems, <laughs> but then the purge happens. Yeah. It's crazy. It's crazy. Yeah. So the most interesting storylines in this are Ryan and Esme's, the thief and the NFFA analyst. So... It's, it's really fascinating to see Ryan's crew skirting the law throughout the year, and they're, like, planning their next heist. And with all great heist stories, they all plan on retiring after one last job, you know? So that's kind of like a that's kind of like the buildup that's putting the stakes into how important the next purge is going to be for them. And then Esme's story offers these glimpses into the inner workings of the purge and the surveillance state that I've always wanted to see. So during purge night, she monitors all of New Orleans from this high-tech nerve center, and they use various forms of observation, CCTV, traffic cameras, drones. So she's scanning the city in search of violations of the purge rules. And you get these glimpses of these crazy, horrific crimes, like people being set on fire and large groups of people just being lined up for execution. And she just like passes all of it over because it's all legal, you know? So she's just like looking for violations of class four weapons or higher. And then, you know, government officials or things like explosives. You know, she uses like these high tech scanners and she's able to peer into people's bags and through their clothing and into their vehicles and locate these illegal weapons. And when she does, she tags the people through like this complex facial recognition software. And then they are basically queued up for arrest once the purge ends. It's really oh, so they don't they don't intervene until after the purge is over and then they like get a exactly. violation. Interesting. Yeah, so like what's you, a class you 4 weapon? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, they never really go into it. Explosives no. are definitely like uh it, that's the only part where you ever get like a specific on it. But it seems like if you use like a chemical weapon or something, you know, basically something gotcha. that would affect No tanks. I don't know. I mean, you can definitely create like armored vehicles with mounted weapons. Oh, really? It's just like, yeah. They don't go super okay, into so that. No, but you, no anthrax, no nukes. Exactly, yeah. Okay. Weapons of mass destruction are out. Exactly, yeah. So it's really intriguing seeing her work environment. And it's, you know, I've, I've always imagined what the inner workings would be like that would allow a night like that to take place. You know, the logistics are astronomical and you just know that even though all crime is legal you're still bound to be watched and categorized for everything you do and that's why in the purge you know it's not just because it's a horror movie that everyone is wearing these crazy masks in this world like people are still trying to protect their identity while they're doing all this stuff you know it's either you know to protect yourself from the ramifications of like what your community will think or from being identified by the government and uh if you cross like a lot of these lines are just undefined, you know, the, the government is there watching and you get the feeling that they're using 
the night and the ability to to arrest people as kind of like a like a, a way to generate profits, you know, through like the police system and through like the prison for profit industries. Yeah, there's definitely I can I'm already getting like some serious like military industrial complex vibes from from this and and it's also you know one of the scary things about having this like police state or surveillance state um is is this like mistrust like even when crime all crime is legal to some extent you still are wearing a mask because you don't trust your government you don't trust your neighbors you know and that's going to carry over to every other day outside of the purge day so it, it seems like a pretty terrible world to live in what else have you seen from the behind the scenes uh, of this like uh world that they've built do you think that they like doing this do you think that they live like a happier life or what does the show kind of like convey without spoiling things well a lot of the a lot of the characters you know like it seems like their entire world is influenced and dictated by the purge you know, there's like activist groups that are always, they're just always working towards trying to prevent the next purge. And then there are these psychos like Ben, who's like his whole life just revolves around getting ready to go on his murder spree. And then there's a lot of just like normal day to day. And you just see people going about their day, like getting coffee or whatever. Like one of the really interesting things is like the inner office exchanges that happen in the nerve center. Like the people that work there with Esme, they all just seem so normal and they, they act how anyone would act at just some shitty office job. You know, they're like, they're just like cracking jokes about what they're seeing on screen. You can tell they're all desensitized to it. But then like on purge night, you see them like placing bets on the outcome of the action that they're seeing. It's like stuff that you would expect, like people that work in a bank and they're having to deal with like your stupid financial records all the time. And you just know, like you're getting mocked for your poor purchasing decisions or whatever. And I, Sounds I like feel a, like that cap, is, cabin in the woods a little bit. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's exactly like that. And I feel like that is painfully accurate to what would really happen once you normalize this world. You know, yeah, totally. You do see like on purge night in the nerve center, every once in a while, somebody like lose it and like puke in the garbage can. And everybody like mocks them for like being weak, you know, jeez. <laughs> it's so great. fascinating. It sounds like so they uh, purged HR pretty quick. Yeah, the uh, <laughs> the the rights of the people do not seem well protected. But like you said earlier, uh, you know, no. you said like they're not allowed to intervene or anything. You know, there's there's definitely like that's part of a storyline. You know, Esme she witnesses a crime of someone that she knows, and when she like jumps up startled, her boss and coworkers all take notice and look concerned, like she's doing something wrong, and then. She like downloads the footage in this clandestine uh, clandestine manner, and you can tell that if she was found doing that, you know, she would definitely be arrested, and you know, whatever bad things happen to you when that happens. Jeez. So there's this fascinating exchange that happens when one of Ryan's crew, uh, the heist guys, Tommy, he doesn't quite escape the bank, and this kind of kicks off one of the major storylines. So right as the purge siren goes off, like his toe is still on private property. And in the nerve center, you know, he's tagged as committing a crime after the siren. And so 
uh, Esme starts the process of getting him, uh, getting him arrested, basically. And when they come to arrest him, the rights that they read him are so disturbing. So first of all, they'll read him a right, and then they, they hit him with a billy club. And then they read him another right, hit him with another with billy club again. So the rights are, you hereby forfeit your rights as an American citizen. Anything you say or do, action or inaction, will be held against you in a court of law. A public defender will be provided to you at our earliest convenience. Do you understand these rights? So if the purge wasn't evidence enough, the government of the world assigns zero value to its citizen. The fact that these rights are so sarcastic and the fact that the police are pummeling him the entire time, they're putting him in a neck collar, even though he's like peacefully surrendering, it's like a blatant statement about James DeMonico's take on police interactions with citizens. Wow. At our earliest convenience. I, that's, I think they, so that's what they say when you go into the DMV. They're like, we're going to get we're going to get to you at our earliest convenience. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's like, it's just so like anti-human, you know, like the police have like a stormtrooper vibe to them, you know, like they're definitely not there to protect the citizens. Wow. Sign me up. Sounds fun. Perfect. All <laughs> worth it for a purge. So he sentenced, in this kangaroo court and his punishment is imprisonment until the next year's purge will be sold off to purgers for profit and then hunted for sport and executed again, definitely a statement about America's for-profit prison system. Wow. Yeah. That seems a little overboard for uh, having a toe on private property. Yeah. It's like the government is just waiting for these opportunities. But while I was researching this, so I came across this thing that this doesn't have anything to do with the show. This was ancillary research, but I felt like I was in like a alternate reality game when I found this, because this is, this is such a scary thing. And this exists in our world. At least this is something that people have been theorizing in our world. So he's being led into the courtroom and his court, uh, court appointed attorney says he was appointed to his case under due process in accordance with Amendment 29 of the U.S. Constitution. Now, there are only 27 amendments in our world, but I looked up 29th Amendment, and this is what I found. So this is a proposed amendment. The Congress shall establish a target population for the United States for the purpose of assuring a high standard of living and quality of life for its citizens. The target population shall not be higher than can be continuously sustained by proven res- uh, proven reserves of domestic natural resources, utilizing existing technology, or by trading such excess resources for others not available domestically. Also, the target population of the United States shall be below the level that, if applied globally, is determined by science to pose no threat to the global environment. The Congress shall establish immigration quotas consistent with achieving the target population. The Congress shall also enact policies that, while leaving people free to choose the size of their families, encourage the population to move toward and stabilize at the established target levels. The target population shall be reviewed by Congress annually and shall be retained or adjusted as necessary. So that, what do you think about that? Uh, It sounds kind of freaky, dude. I've not heard of this um, proposed uh, 29th Amendment. So it's it's basically 
uh, what are you trying to say? It's it's like they are proposing to protect the people that are already here from suffering the quality of life losses of overpopulation. Am I understanding that right? Or maybe not the people that are here. Maybe the people of the future or the world of the future. You know, like the the feeling I got from this was more of like a like an ecological protection for the earth by reducing the population be- below like carrying capacity. And so and this is a this know, is a proposed bill that did not pass uh eh, and w- no this is no? from this is from petemurphy.wordpress.com it's from this book Five Short Blasts a new economic theory exposes the fatal flaw in globalization and its consequences for America by Peter Murphy. So this is, I haven't read this book, but the synopsis says this book is uh, Five Short Blasts is the book that lays bare the underlying forces making the United States approach to globalization a surefire loser, one that has been eroding the finances of American households for the last three decades. And like I said, I didn't read this book, but in the table of contents, there are two proposed amendments the 28th, which seems to be about some national debt shit, like it seemed really boring. But that 29th Amendment, which in my mind pretty much summarizes the entire premise of how and why the purge could come to be. And it, you know, like this is honestly the most fascinating thing I've learned while researching this. And it's actually kind of scary. Wow. Well, I I am definitely not somebody that thinks... Um we, sh- you know, I don't like the the extreme nationalism approach where we should cut ties with other countries and you know cut free trade and try to put uh, America first because we we do face global problems and to solve those global problems we have to come up with global solutions. Now I'm not saying nationalism uh, doesn't have benefits. I mean, um, guess who talks about this? You've all know Harari. I mean, there there are benefits. Most mentioned man to uh, you know these these societies that can set their own rules and have their own experiments with democracy or capitalism and have work towards these common goals. And you have this separation of like the state and the federal government, and you know you're not um, beholden to other countries. But I, I don't think we should build a wall around the United States, right? And we're, I mean, we're doing that right now with with our leadership's uh, words and actions. I mean, I, I think we need to build more relationships and we need to build more bridges. But uh, yeah, this I, I haven't heard about this 29th Amendment. It sounds pretty crazy. Yeah, and I have a feeling this isn't like, this is not like some well-known thing. Like this was such a, a rare and random find for me. And I looked up to like see if James DeMonico was influenced by this weird book because it almost seems too perfect. You know, like there is actual precedent for a system like the purge in our world with I, I can see how an amendment like that, which has been proposed by this guy, could be twisted so easily into like, oh, well, why don't we just allow the purge to happen? That's a way we can control our national population. Just let them all kill each other. I'm sure we'll drop below carrying capacity that way each year. Right. It's just, uh, this was so fast. This was 
one of the coolest things that's ever happened to me because of this show is finding this. And I really felt like I was going down like an alternate reality game rabbit hole finding this information. Yeah, that that's super weird. I mean, I, I definitely am concerned about overpopulation for sure, but I don't think having a, a purge is the answer either. Yeah, clearly not. Let's not do it this way. No, no. So there's this Let's, other capability of the surveillance state, and it's the ability to track crimes back to their source. Do you remember the Radio Lab episode, uh, Eye in the Sky, where they had they oh, talked about the Project yeah. Angel Fire? Oh, so absolutely. That, yes. So the Angel Fire is this wide field of view persistent surveillance system that it's essentially like some kind of aerial platform that's recording a city in real time. And then once a crime occurs, they can rewind or fast forward the footage to trace, uh, you know, like they were using this in Iraq to trace IED makers back to their sources. And that's, uh, that, that is such an amazing and crazy technology that exists in our world right now. And it's, Dude, and it's terrifying because they didn't just use that overseas. They were using that in American cities. They were using that in U.S. cities without the r- real consent or knowledge of the people in those cities. And yeah. if, I, if I remember uh, a little bit about that, if I remember it correctly... I mean, it's it's one of those examples of just like, yeah, we promise we won't use this for anything bad. We promise we're just going to get the, the bad government. guys. <laughs> you can trust us. Just like every like piece of like insane technology that comes out that just like has so much potential for abuse. It, it doesn't matter, you know, what, what kind of assurances you give or what kind of like contracts you sign. Like the, just the fact that this was already being used without anybody's like real consent or knowledge. Just, it just right there shows you uh, that they know people aren't going to go for this. I mean, it is just such a gross invasion of privacy and even with the best of intentions, it's just too damn dangerous. And we need to have like a public conversation uh, about this. Unless we're not living in a democracy, then I, you know, I guess uh, bring in the drones, right? Yeah. It's, it's like, it's a really great example of being wary of the capabilities available to the government. Like we thankfully do Definitely. not live in the purge universe, but I think the comments that they're making about the dangers of that type of surveillance are very valid. Yeah, definitely. Dude, I'm so glad you brought up that, that episode. I've definitely thought of it uh, since hearing it like more than once. I'm going to have to give that a re-listen. Like that is some crazy stuff. And that was a few years old. Imagine what they have now. They don't even need to like put this camera on a 182 or whatever it was. Like it's definitely going to be unmanned and and smaller and harder to see and and it's Ugh. I mean anything that we learned about is probably already 10 years out of date. Right. That's true. That is true. Yeah. So, well I'm sc- back I'm to the scared show now. Yeah. <laughs> so we talked about the cold open with the uh, voice actor being cast for the uh, commencement speech, but every show opens with, with these cold open segments that show some aspect of living in this world. So like one shows the Zippy Maid Company. So it's this after purge night cleanup service where the workers are just casually cleaning up this like major murder scene in this 
posh upscale home. And just like the people working in the nerve center, you know, they're like totally desensitized to it and totally bored. So a lot of the average citizens that work in like these purge related industries seem totally numb to the realities of what they're doing. Yeah, that sounds pretty nuts. <laughs> it's it's yeah, it's it's very interesting. That's some gr- great world building right there. It really is. And then this other one shows these women in Brazil preparing for a bachelorette party. So the bride to be and the maid of honor at this travel agency checking purged tourist packages because murder tour- tourism is a thing in this world. So the uh, maid of honor is kind of like reluctant, but the bride is being like a real bitch about the whole thing. And she's insisting that she doesn't care if her friend is opposed to the idea of murder tourism. It's it's her day, you know, and they're going to do what she wants. And you oh get the feeling gosh. there's been... Yeah, you like you get this. There's like tension between them. And you get the feeling it's been there for a long time. And when the bride steps out to make a phone call or something, the maid of honor asks, "What's the return policy? Like, if we don't use all the return flights, implying that she's gonna like take out her like shitty friend while they're over there." It really gives you a glimpse into how like the purge has affected the entire world's outlook on murder, like it being legalized and sanctioned. Uh, it makes it acceptable, you know, after a bit of, bit of mental gymnastics, the people that would never consider doing it before have convinced themselves that it's something that, you know, it's a solution to a problem. Well, I mean, there were uh, the gladiator fights, right? I mean, we definitely have had points in our human history where like, uh, there was killing on display. I mean, human fights to the death, on display for entertainment. So it, it doesn't seem totally out of the, like out there realm of possibilities, especially when you get a bridezilla involved who just wants to, you know, get ready for her wedding with some old fashioned <laughs> blooded guts. <laughs> totally. And yeah, it brings up a really good point that like the polite society that, that we live in really is like a construct. And if you look at like the, history of humans and what was required of us to make it this far you know it's like just things like world war ii aren't really even scratching the surface of the genocide that humans are capable of absolutely either on you know a grand scale like that or even just like a personal scale you know when when we lived in like the savage world i imagine that it's just day to day you're just like these people are encroaching on our hunting grounds and so, like, a natural response is, of course we're going to kill them. There's, There are these people we need to provide for, and we can't risk this other tribe being near us. And it's like when you look at, you know, like, zombie fiction. It always devolves into the bands of humans fighting each other. And I feel like that's the way it would be. You know, once, like, the constraints of this world that we live in and the laws are removed, it really would just be like, you know, looking out for me and my own. You would just be yeah. like Al- Elaine from The Decline. The most important yeah. thing would just be protect what you have and you'd be willing to do anything to to do that. Uh, you know, it, I hate to say it, but I think you're absolutely right. I mean, we, we all have this ape brain that, uh, you know, we, we might have all this new stuff and we have all these new rules and we've collaborated to create this this amazing thing these institutions these structures but at the end of the day i mean 
there's a lot of tribalism uh, tendencies just wired into us that we that we haven't grown out of, you know, and maybe soon, it, maybe it's the transhumanism movement that's going to upgrade our hardware, and maybe that that'll break this this like perpetuating cycle. But man, for now, it, it does seem like all too possible. I don't like it. Something I would always think about with like sci-fi, like Star Trek. You know, they would say, you know we've discovered this alien species that is warlike. And I always thought it was like such a ridiculous concept that, you know, like you would classify an entire species as being warlike without any of the nuance that goes along with just like what being an individual is. But I think about like if aliens were looking down on our, our planet, that's definitely what they would say. This is a warlike uh, chimp species Absolutely. that is, you know, like, most of our economy is based on war, you know, and absolutely, we're, feel we're like monkeys we with would, nukes. We would easily be classified that way. And so, as I've grown totally. older and learned more about like the way the world works in general, that idea has become less crazy to me. And now I feel like that's a very easy classification to make. I I, I agree. I do think though, if you even though times feel pretty rough right now, and I, I, I'm not going to make any predictions about what the future holds, if you do zoom out and you take a big perspective on history, we are becoming less and less violent overall as a species. It seems hard to believe, but it is in fact true if you take out a large, if you take out a really big perspective of the timeline here. So who knows if that trend will continue? Uh, but I do, I do have a question for you, Josh. Purge. So yeah, if you if you were in in the purge, what what weapon uh, would you have? Are you on the offense or the defense? And uh, is there any other like strategy or vehicle or? Uh, partnership or something that you would want to utilize to help you get through the purge? Well, I think I would definitely be on the defense. Um, I think I would be probably gathering my most trusted confidants and creating, you know, like a watch schedule, fortifying some position. That's all if I couldn't travel. I think my first choice would be to travel out of the country. I don't think I'd want to be in country during the purge, but if I was forced to, I would definitely be of the mindset of heavily armed and fortified. What about you? Okay. I'd be like on a psychopathic murder spree. Um, well, I'm definitely taking, uh, the Elon Musk flamethrower or not a flamethrower. Uh, I'm definitely on the one wheel. But I'm not there <laughs> to not cause harm. Like a recipe for survival. <laughs> Short I'm, range weapon and a battery powered vehicle that might last three hours. I, I'm definitely just just there for show. I'm there to add drama. To some I'm there content. to be a target for purgers. <laughs> a moving right. target. I, so why do they I'm call not it sure not a flamethrower? Is that uh, a, not a flamethrower? Is that for legal reasons? I'm pretty sure it is. Yeah, it's like in the that purge. That is so you, you lame, could, Elon. 
you could get a chemical weapon that's it's it's you know not a class four weapon is what you'd call ah, it. Ah, yes. It's a loophole. I, gotcha. I think flamethrowers are uh, not legal in some states. And when he was selling them, they were saying, "Yeah, you can't ship this here." And he was like, oh, "I'll just call it not a flamethrower." Perfect. So it worked. Yeah. It's got the word flamethrower in the title. <laughs> So Easy it'll peasy. appease everyone that wants one <laughs> and skirt government regulations with that nada if, tacked onto the front. If you, if you got an issue with it, just talk to his lawyers. Good luck. All right, so let's close this thing out, man. My uh, my main issue with Purge content is that it's very schizophrenic in its desire to be something. It like, wants to be horror. It wants to be flashy action. It wants to be political commentary. I think that it, it's at its best when it embraces the behind-the-scenes aspects of the world and explains the logic of The Purge, and that is the focus of Purge Season 2. Now, the Purge content spans a range from amazing to bleh, like the first <laughs> Purge, which is actually the most recent movie that was released, is an absolute travesty, and James DeMonaco should be ashamed of himself, even though he did not direct it. So Purge him! There is a perfect six-point scale with which to measure anything because that's how scales (laughs) typically work, right? Six points. Okay, sure. So from the bottom up, it goes the first purge, which I've already said, the purge, which is eh, purge season one, which is all right, I guess, purge election year, get better, purge anarchy, now we're getting into the good stuff, and then purge (laughs) season two, Fuck yeah, the best purge content ever made. So Brett, yes. on a scale from the first purge to purge season two, how bad do you want to watch the purge season two now? Let's do it. <laughs> Fuck yeah, I'm ready, buddy. I'm scared oh. though, but I want to see it. I can't wait. It's amazing, dude. You should download it tonight. All right. Uh, you you got to buy it on Prime. It's like fourteen ninety nine or something, but it is totally, totally worth it. And you really think I can just skip season one? Is what you're saying? Just skip the it. Stories are not interconnected at all. It's completely Perfect. independent. This is a standalone. If you know nothing about the Purge, you could start with this, and you'd get everything you ever need to know or wanted to know, and a whole lot of extra content that is just like the amazing world building. You'll feel like a Purge expert after watching this season. A purgeologist. Yep. Just tack that yeah. onto the end of your name. Brett Chisholm, well, contentologist <laughs> slash purgeologist. Speaking of which, I do feel like after that amazing deep dive that I I just so loved, and it's definitely convinced me to watch season two of the Purge TV series. I feel like now I, I was on the verge of losing my contentologist license, at least in the state of Colorado. But now that I know about this and I'm going to go watch it, I feel like uh, my status to practice contentology is protected. So thank you, Josh, for that. (laughs) That's right. And thank you uh, to all the listeners that have been enjoying the show. Uh, Please check out our website, cchpod.com. We're also on Instagram and Facebook at The Content Clearing House. That's the name of the podcast that you're listening to. Please share the show with your friends. Please do it. Uh, We would love to have you maybe tell 
uh, tell a friend about the show. You know, maybe share your favorite episode. We've had a great interview with Rusty Lewis, skydiver extraordinaire. We've covered a lot of different content, books, podcasts, movies, um, and we're open to suggestions on what you'd like us to cover, but we're not going to cover anything that we're not obsessed about ourselves. But if you have some ideas for us, we always love to watch new content, so please feel free to reach out. Thanks again for listening to the show, and we'll see you next week.